everyone, and welcome to the show. I'm James, that's Katie, and of course, that makes this episode 29 of Circles and Squares. Uh, only one away from 30, Kate. Can you believe it? I feel like every episode we do, we have some kind of like, wow, I can't believe we're like at 25 or now it's like 29. All these milestone numbers just keep coming up on the horizon. And <laughs> it's like, it's pretty exciting. It is. It's really exciting. And I, I can't believe like, you know, people are people are so listening. That's wonderful. And the other thing too about it is it's just a great excuse to, to kind of do something fun. So I, I think next episode is going to be uh another special one so it is yeah for that. <laughs> for those who are listening uh we won't really give any details what we're going to plan on doing yet but it is our one year anniversary episode um next one on episode number 30 which is going to be out on may 17th so look forward to that um but yeah kate how are you uh, i'm great um i um you know have a nice coffee it's a beautiful day outside and i have a very fun fact for you have you heard of Grandma Shirley Curry. <laughs> um, I wasn't <laughs> expecting to be asked a question like this, but no, I, no, I've not. Okay, so um, she is the most wholesome, best person on YouTube. So it's basically Grandma Shirley is this this older lady who has a YouTube channel, and she plays Skyrim. And oh, I like, have this, heard of her. Yeah, yeah. She's the one she has like playthroughs of Skyrim and, and she's always like really wholesome. Like she kind of like really role plays her character. She's like, oh, I'm going to be a merchant and like just go around and sell things. And like she just like s gets into it so much. And she's just like the cutest, sweetest lady. And so anyway, her channel's really blown up because, you know, well, it's yeah. kind of novel. And like how what, what kind of monster wouldn't like, you know, to watch this? So yesterday, um, which I guess would have been the first, um, someone made a because like Skyrim's got a very prolific modding community. Oh, yeah. And so someone made a proper grandma Shirley mod, and she's actually like a follower you can get in game now. Wow, that's a <laughs> shout out to you, Grandma Shirley. That's amazing. Right? That's so nice. I'm so excited one day to be like old and be grandma Shirley like that's my like retirement goals I want to be like I'm so inspired by her to be just like this old lady that's still playing games and, like <laughs> some old grandma still yeah, just playing Sekiro on stream every day or exactly. something exactly I want to be an old grandma who's beating like you know Sekiro 42 or whatever game is out at the time <laughs> <laughs> you'll have to live uh make her legacy live on when you when you gain mm -hmm. the years I guess Exactly. Awesome. And it's going to live on in Skyrim now, which is, I think, is absolutely just such a lovely, like, heartwarming fact to start the day out. Hey, video games are cool, you know? They do all kinds of cool mm -hmm. things like that. That's awesome story. Uh, <laughs> good for you, Shamit. Grandma Shirley. Uh, if you ever want to come on the show, just uh, send us an email. We'll get you on here as a guest. Uh, that would be awesome. <laughs> that but, would uh... be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, hey, Kate, let's save some time. I know we've got a lot to talk mm -hmm. about later uh, in regards to a certain game in particular. So um, just to give everyone a lay of the land for the episode today, we do have, of course, uh, the first part of the show talking about the games we've been playing. Um, after that, we'll take a break and then talk about some news, including a brand new Ratchet & Clank Rift Apart State of Play that we watched. Uh, I think it was yesterday, right, that that came out. Maybe the day before. Either way. Uh, I think it was the day before. But I mean, either way, like it was worth watching yesterday a second time. So. <laughs> it oh, it was. It absolutely was. <laughs> Um, and then to close out the show at the end, uh, for the final segment, we will be talking about our favorite sidekicks in video games. 
Uh, and then ending off, of course, with a listener mail question, as we usually do. Uh, and just a reminder for everyone else out there as well, if you want to send in a listener mail question uh, for a future episode, if you'd like to get your question read out and answered on the show, you can send us an email to circlesandsquarespod at gmail.com. Um, or you can find us on Twitter at CNSPod and uh, just tweet us over there. We can answer your question that way, too. So uh, thank you to everyone that writes in and uh, we look forward to hearing from you. Uh, but Kate, let's start off with these PlayStation mobile games that we promised we were going to play uh, last episode on our little discussion about mobile games. Uh, we actually didn't even know these games existed until then. We took a challenge to each take one to play and see what we thought. So uh, I would love to hear your thoughts on Uncharted uh, Neck Hunter. <laughs> yes. Um, I will, you know what? I, I will say I was pleasantly surprised by Neck Then Drake's uh, latest adventure in Uncharted Fortune Hunter. Um, I mean, it's a mobile game. I didn't have, I'm not a mobile gamer. Um, it's just not my preference. And I don't, you know, really have a, a really long commute, especially especially now where I, you know, I've got time that mobile gaming would be appealing. And so I went into the expectations of like, I don't think this is going to be for me, but I want to be open-minded. And I actually think the game is pretty good. I was relatively impressed with it. So it's like it's an Uncharted branded puzzle game. And you kind of it's like a little like box layout style and you have to navigate Drake through the level and get him to the treasure at the end. And it starts off pretty simple, but it actually gets relatively complicated in terms of the puzzles. Like there's different things where like um, you can raise or lower blocks that might get in your way, but also then they introduce like traps that shoot arrows at you. So you can then manipulate the blocks to um, get in the way of those traps so that Drake can have a safe path through. And they introduce things later, like additional treasure you can get, but it's maybe out of the way and, and requires like extra puzzle solving. Is it like those um, uh, Lara Croft uh, mobile, what is it called? Lara Croft Go, Tomb Raider Go, those kind of games, like where as you move some stuff on the map, moves like kind of in a on a board. Yeah, it's kind of on a board. Like nothing really like moves without you. Like you're very much in control. But it, it's mostly about like it kind of boils down to like flipping switches and finding the right combination of things, and also like order of switches to flip so that like you can create the route like. The treasure might be blocked like behind a wall and so like there's a way you can flip some switches to make the wall go down but like mm -hmm. in order to make that wall go down you have to get to the other side of the map but like there's no connecting path but then if you flip another switch that path raises up from the ground so like it's a lot of that kind of stuff and like i think it was actually pretty good and the actual like trappings of it were quite nice like the music is just uncharted so it's one of the strongest things uncharted has as a franchise yeah and so like i couldn't help but smile when i first turned it on and that kind of like you know like very adventure kind of music popped in it's been a while since i played uncharted but that that theme is still very um memorable for me so i like that like sully talks to you and, and nate and sully have like a, a bit of a banter going back and forth throughout the game and then the you kind of go on this like old treasure map is the is like the level map and it's it's pretty cute um 
So I will say that I think the the design is really nice. The actual art assets, I think, leave something to be desired. <laughs> <laughs> we've we've joked a lot about poor Nathan's neck in in this game, and I I very strongly urge everyone if you haven't seen it, just either Google Uncharted Fortune Hunter or like we will post many pictures on on Twitter for you guys to enjoy. And like it's just the strangest character model I've ever seen. Like his shoulders are three times the width of his waist. And like, he's got the widest V going on, which is really not flattering because his neck is unusually long. Yeah. yeah, and it's so funny. Like, oh, it's so good. And like some of the, <laughs> some of the like, of course it has a like a shop that you go to spend stuff. And you do get an in-game currency, which I think is fine and one of those things you can do is buy like outfits for nate so we were kind of laughing before the show looking at mime nate and how like ridiculous he looks oh, it's, it's something else you just gotta go look at it is all it is like, yeah and it's not even just the length of his neck either or the, the broadness of his shoulders it's also like his his chest has this weird circular quality to it which is like people yeah. i don't know like it just it's it's one of those like it's not uncanny valley but it's just like this is clearly a person but people don't really look like this and so yeah. it just looks kind of weird it looks like it looks like um you know when, when you, you like give someone a test and they're like or you see online sometimes artists will do this and it's like this is the drawing i made of this character like while looking at a reference and this is the one without a reference and the without a reference one is like i can clearly see that you were trying to draw that character but it it is not the same character <laughs> and it's very much like this like i can clearly see you were trying to make a person but this is not what people look like um oh, so that, that's been cracking up poor nick then i can't i'm gonna have to play a, a proper uncharted game now to to you refresh check out, my, uh, my mind you should check out lost legacy like i like i was telling you before I, I will. Um, and uh, the the last thing I will say about this game is the microtransactions, because of course they're in here. It's a mobile game. You can't avoid it. And what surprised me the most, and I, I kind of had heard this going in, but I, I still was, was surprised that like a, the vast majority of the microtransactions in this game are actually for Uncharted 4. A what? And so like... A lot of that money you can spend in this game is for getting like resources for the Uncharted 4 multiplayer, which struck me as very strange because it's such a weird integration. Like, it's kind of cool. Like, there's a few things where it's like, oh, get a skin for the multiplayer. And like, that's kind of cute. I know a lot of like crossover games do that. Like, for example, I've gotten a skin in Hero in Overwatch because I played a certain amount of Heroes of the Storm games in like, an event time that they were doing and it was cool because it was like oh like these two games crossed over right they're like kind of i don't know they're supposed to be in universe but like they're made by the same developer and it was like a cute event that they did but this just kind of struck me as weird as like okay like you're like I'm, how many people are gonna be enticed be like oh i want to get like an extra some extra ammo on uncharted 4 so like i gotta play like <laughs> some extra ammo <laughs> yeah it's like like weird stuff like that and then it's like well like is uncharted 4 multiplayer pay to win like it's it's like but also pay to win but also play this mobile game to win <laughs> like that's a it's an interesting setup we have yeah, to research so like, that it's kind of cool like i don't know like I, I don't i didn't investigate enough to know how it works and i've never played the uncharted 4 multiplayer so like i don't want to like condemn it but i just think it's and like it has the potential to be kind of cool because it's like 
you're really into the series and you're into playing both games, like I, I feel like that could be kind of neat. But also, it's just strange. Like it was just strange. Mm. So, um, yeah, well. but yeah, overall, like I don't think I'm going to be playing any more of it because it's not my preference. But I do genuinely think if I was going to sit down with a mobile game, like this one would would be in consideration. Um, but I, I will close off on it with reading some of the reviews, which oh, were good. hilarious. They were mostly quite positive, but there were a couple people and I just couldn't help but smile. And this person's written, doesn't give me the feeling I feel when I play Uncharted. Damn, I'm that's glad like, this that's like hits you in the, to the bone. <laughs> well, it's like, I'm glad this doesn't have ads, but overall a two star. And then another person said this, I really like this, but to be honest, I think I like Uncharted 3 more. Oh, really? To be honest? And it's like, mm. <laughs> just cracked me up. It's like, <laughs> were you expecting it to be like the same as a, as a full like release big title, <laughs> like the main series? Yeah, you, you got to change your expectations there a little bit. Yeah. Is that, is that a hot take? It's kind of cracked me up. It's like, oh, really? Like, do, do, did you think it would be like Uncharted 4, the, the proper sequel? <laughs> <laughs> So it was just just kind of cute. Like some of the reviews were just they got it. They got a smile out of me. <laughs> love it, love it. Um, well, I'll tell you about Sackboy's Big Adventure. Or no, sorry, Run Sackboy Run. Sackboy's Big Adventure is the PS5 game, and I'd really like to play that. And I'm heard right. it's, it's a really really good. I wish so. you were gonna tell me about that, but instead, I, in the meantime, <laughs> maybe one day. But for now, I've been playing Run Sackboy Run, which is right. um, an endless runner game, uh, very similar. I don't know if you've ever played uh, Jetpack Joyride before. Yes, I have. So I, I'm a little more, um, I'm familiar with that kind of style of game more so than, than right, I think okay. I played. Yeah. So this is, this is basically a carbon copy of Jetpack Joyride, which is one of those, you know, like when iPhones first came out, like that was one of the games where I really got into that because it's just mm -hmm. kind of what you did. You got into these games and whatnot. And Jetpack Joyride was a lot of fun for what it was, I think. Like it was very similar to like those Flash games you'd play back in the day on like shockwave.com. Yeah, and, and um, definitely. I used to play a lot of those. Oh, tons, tons. And this is <laughs> this game is basically a carbon copy of that. You're running from le uh, left to right, trying to, you know, pick up little coins and find little collectibles and whatnot, and not get caught by whatever's chasing you. Which in this game is kind of a mechanical, crafty sort of dragon. It actually looks pretty cool. And this little big planet, or little big planet, I think has a really cool aesthetic in terms of like its crafty kind of look it's similar to like a paper mario style like you know the world is like all crafts made of different mm -hmm. different shapes different households yeah it's it's funny that it's, it's funny that it's such a like notable playstation game because i would say like nintendo's got the monopoly on like kirby's made of yarn and like yoshi's made of wool and, like, <laughs> yeah <laughs> paper right mario. it's like well we got we got sack boy <laughs> yeah sack boy and he does a good job to, to hang around he, with he those does guys. he does those, those games are are really charming i think yeah, so so anyway, this game, uh, you're you're running along, you know, doing your thing. You've got um, different score multipliers you're trying to get up. It's very much a high score game kind of kind of deal. And it's interesting that you bring up that your Uncharted game has um, store integrations with the Uncharted Four multiplayer because this game also has integrations with Little Big Planet, in that you can collect little stickers along the way, and and I guess they they add up to being different costumes and different. Um, I guess the ways you can dress Sackboy up to look like different mm -hmm. um, characters or whatnot. And as you collect these stickers, I guess they unlock costumes for the Little Big Planet 3. 
which okay. is uh it's not a multiplayer game so i guess that would work a bit differently because well mm -hmm. i mean never mind i guess there is multiplayer but not like competitive like right. i would imagine it's, it's, yeah it's, it's more like co-op or like play other people's levels online and stuff yeah right so there's there's that in this game as well which is kind of cool like I, I i guess it gives you a reason if you're a big little big planet fan when you're away from your console to go and try and collect different outfits for for later on your on your console mm -hmm. so that's kind of neat um, and so the, the way this game works too, you're kind of collecting things as you go and, and there's different items you can pick up along the way. So as you're running along, you can find a magnet and the magnet will kind of draw in the little coins you're trying to collect from further distances. So you can mm -hmm. kind of increase your score that way. And, and the tracks are really designed like they're not just kind of you're running along the ground and jumping pits and, and whatnot. Like they're really, you know, in Sonic maybe is a, is a good comparison where you can kind mm -hmm. of have like there's multi-tiered kind of ways so there's like the ground floor and then you can kind of get mm -hmm. up on some platforms that are higher up and usually you'll yeah, have maybe there's more a rail to go across yeah there's just some more incentives to try and take maybe a more difficult path so that's mm -hmm. been kind of fun to try and try and get past that i've played probably a little bit more of this than i thought i was going to just because mm -hmm. i've been at work a little bit you know and killing some time like <laughs> like we all do <laughs> and so this has kind of just been available on my I phone hope your and... boss isn't watching <laughs> Luckily, I've oh been, no uh... i've never played i was on my break of course yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on my break i'm not playing little big planet uh, so there's all that kind of thing. There's a lot of challenges too, which I like. I think that's part of the reason why maybe I've, I've played a little bit more. It's like challenges like, oh, get to a certain distance on your next run or, or see if you can collect a certain amount of coins on your next run, you know, like little, just little incentives to try. Oh, right. maybe I will just try that one more time. Like I was little, pretty close. Yeah. Little breadcrumbs to entice you that the, the hallmark of, of a good addictive mobile game. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So I wouldn't say I've been addicted by any sense of the word, but I mean, like, like you, I'm probably not going to play, you know, too much more, but if I'm, if I'm mm -hmm. waiting for like, you know, at, at a line somewhere, because now we're all lined up and socially distanced when we go to whatever store and whatnot, you never know, like if it's a long one, it, customer service or something maybe i'll <laughs> pull out sack boys uh running game here but you know it, it was fine i i think that uh I, I pretty much have the same sentiment as as you seem to with your game in terms of like hey it's not bad and if i was going to get into something on mobile it's probably one that would draw me in probably just because it, you know it, it is a playstation kind of game it's a character i'm familiar with it's this kind of world but am i gonna play anymore and really get into it no i don't think so and uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of sack boy. Un unfortunately, I did not uh, look up any great reviews like you did. So we'll have to maybe Aww. skip that for my game. But, uh, you know, I'm sure people had some some uh, funny things to say about it, too. Um, I'm sure. Um, well, <laughs> well, that's yeah. great. I'm glad that this. Yeah, I'm glad we checked them out. It was kind of a cute little experiment. It was. Yeah. Um, and aside from that, I've not really been playing a whole lot. Like, uh, I mean, we've both been playing Disco Elysium, but we're not going to talk mm -hmm. about that on the show at all until we're finished. And then other than that, I've just been kind of like back in my Slay the Spire rabbit hole, which is uh, still an addiction. Uh, I've got Monster Hunter going still, you know, getting up to the high rank armors and more challenging fights. They The fights really get a lot more difficult when you hit the the high rank kind of monsters and, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, it becomes a little bit more strategic, especially when you're playing multiplayer. And, and um, I actually dove back into Apex as well, which was a lot of fun. There's a new season coming up with a new character that looks like uh, pretty game changing she can like fly your whole squad around and you can basically oh, wow. surprise people by flying in from the sky and kill them from behind so that, that's pretty interesting so I, i'm excited for that to come out but um i don't have a whole lot of you know updates of other games i've been playing but that's okay because i feel like you're gonna have a lot to say uh <laughs> about about yours so why don't I've, you go, i've go been ahead. i've been dreaming about this moment <laughs> um <laughs> So uh, I don't know if I spoke about it last episode or, or alluded to it, but I have finished my 
full completion. Um, I guess not like platinum full completion, but I, I finished my first proper run of Sekiro. And uh, I didn't talk about it last show because we just had a lot going on and I wanted to kind of ruminate on it a little bit. Um, well, let me be I'm, the first just to say congratulations uh, thank on your you. ordeal. I am um, so sad I've beaten it. I feel like there's a hole in my heart that can never be filled by anything else. Uh, and I just, I'm just lost. Like, I just don't know what to do with my life anymore. But I'm here <laughs> to take this opportunity to tell you about my favorite game, Sekiro. So I mentioned, I think, on our on our list when we made our, our top 10, because um, I was in the middle of playing the game at that time. And I said that if the second half is as good as the first half, it's going to be the best game I've ever played. I do remember and, that, yeah. And the second half absolutely delivered. Um, so, I mean, I'm not going to get into like what Sekiro is. I think everybody knows. Yeah. I know I, what the I, game is by now. Um, it, you know, it's one game of the year. It's been very much in, in, you know, in news. And, and I think it's that cool samurai game. You've seen it. Um, but my sentiment about it is not only do I think the game is near perfect. I think it was tailored specifically to what I like in a game. So I think I think this game is it's really unique. I've never played anything that feels quite like it, even though it, it definitely is a from software game. And, and I'll get into that later. And I think it's executed perfectly. But I will caveat at the beginning to anyone who's not sure about the game or kind of on the fence. I think it asks the player to play on its terms and it's not going to appeal to everyone. And I think that it, I'm surprised almost that it is it was game of the year and not because it, it didn't deserve it. I think it is such a quality experience, but I just think that it's not as accessible as a lot of other games and not because it's too difficult, but just because like, it really is like, there's one way to succeed. There's one way to the game wants you to play. And I think a lot of people kind of struggled with that because one of the big things that people like about other FromSoft games is they're very flexible. There's a lot of like, you know, you can be a really like tanky build with like mm -hmm. a sword and mm -hmm. shield or, or you can be like the fast dex kind of build or you can do magic or pyromancy or like kind of a combination. Like there, there's a lot of like people really um, get into the idea of like build paths and trying out like different play styles. Yeah, more variety. Yeah, like more variety. And Sekiro has that to a degree because you get different, you unlock different abilities and there's different skill trees that you spend points into as you play and you get the different shinobi tools that all do various things in an, in combat and outside of combat sometimes and so like there there is some variety in in terms of like how you spend your points and build your character and like which tools you spec into but at the end of the day like you are a Sekiro you're the shinobi warrior like you can't get around like you're playing that character and for me personally this is exactly the character that I would build and it just, it clicked with me so much. And so I think maybe I'll get into the, into the combat now. Um, and I'm going to compare it to other FromSoft games because it, it was weird coming into it for me. And it took actually a little while to, to get used to it. And at first I was almost like, you know, back in my very naive moments, I was kind of unsure, like how I felt about it at first. It took a little while for it to, to really like sink in mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. The other games and like specifically um, like Bloodborne, which was my my previous like standard, um, 
they're very much about like dodging and waiting for openings and going in and taking those couple hits when you when you can and then getting out and like um kind of like in and out of combat and Sekiro is is kind of the opposite like there are still some ways to dodge you you do have a dodge that has frames and you do have a jump now which is really nice um and and you still have that kind of like combat philosophy of like learning the enemies like move patterns especially if it's a boss uh, and kind of knowing like okay this move I have to jump over it's a sweep and like this move I have to um like counter in this way and so like there is a bit of that but it's much more about timing your parries and getting into the flow of combat like i i very much believe that this game is is secretly a rhythm game i, I agree with that actually from the little yeah. that i played you you do really feel like the fights have a cadence to them when you're when you're in them mm -hmm. you do and and i think like you need to just kind of like instinctively start to learn that and, and and feel when it's your turn in the flow and then when your turn is over and then now you've got to stop attacking and go back on the the block defensive and it's it feels like such a beautiful and natural rhythm once you get into it but it is hard it's a big ceiling to get to that point um, but it is, it's so worth it when you do. And it's the trading momentum back and forth of the parrying because in this game, like, and it's another thing to kind of get used to. And it's funny, I had a friend who played and he's like, well, I just do no damage. Like, I feel so weak because when you actually hit an enemy, you do, you do very little damage. You've got a weak right. little baby sword, like it hardly hurts them. But the idea of the combat is that you're not vying for damage. You're vying for posture. So whenever you attack in this game and this is, you know, maybe kind of more a little specific if, if someone hasn't, it's not easy to grasp necessarily just looking at it, but when you attack in this game, you are going to be dealing more posture damage. So if you hit someone and they don't block it perfectly, they're, they have a posture bar that fills up and you have the same thing. It's the same rules for you. Um, so if you get hit on not a good block, your posture bar will fill up. But if you perf if you parry, then instead of your posture bar going up, it actually hurts the opponent's posture if you parry them at the perfect time. So the the strongest thing you can do in combat is to actually parry and attack at the right time, and it fills up that bar. the The only thing that doing actual health damage is really useful for is the more damage. That the enemy's taken the quicker their posture bar will fill up and once right. it fills up you get which is like the most beautiful cinematic thing in the game is you get these like death blows and so the it'll like zoom in the music will play like it gets so intense and you get this the, the prompt of like kill them and he'll usually do it in like a really cool like samurai kind of way like he'll, he'll he'll stab them or sometimes he'll like spin around them and stab them and like all the bosses have like cool unique looking animations like um kind of like all, not like not as gruesome as god of war but the same kind of thing where it's kind of really like over the top like this is how you how you get them mm -hmm. and even after like 50 hours of gameplay it still felt so cool every time i did it and even mm -hmm. on like the most basic grunt enemy you get it and you're like yes <laughs> i agree they they feel good like when even just pulling them off against the basic enemies like and mm -hmm. you know i probably played the first what quarter of the game maybe 
quarter and between quarter and a third whatever but some of those basic enemies even still when you pull off those moves and their blood kind of starts like flying mm -hmm. out it feels so tangible in a yeah. way where, where it makes you feel like you've succeeded in doing something really cool even if it's just like hey this guy was you know one of the first enemies in the game like it really does have that impact yes like some of my like favorite enemies are like um a couple there's like a couple enemies specifically that um don't give you tons of tons of time to get on the offensive yourself but you can quickly realize that their posture bar fills up really quickly so there's a couple enemies in the game that and actually like there's a mini boss who's kind of like or too many bosses actually they're sort of like larger versions of that enemy and i didn't attack them a single time and beat them just off of blocking because wow. it's it was like a really strong strategy on them and it feels so good to get the to get that after like a really cool block because it's like ding parry and then you get them and it's like it like got you motherfucker and got you yeah and it's so like mm, you just feel like you're like yes like you want to like cheer and stand up and like oh my god um there's been times in this game where like i get so into it and like especially on like the really long difficult bosses because like there's some bosses that like oh my god it feels like you must fight them for hours you don't like each you know each goes like maybe only a couple minutes but like there's some they have quite a few like phases there they get like quite long and um like my heart just like gets pounding when I play this game. Like my hands were like when I beat the final boss, my hands were shaking. <laughs> I just get so like wrapped up in the in the moment. So and specifically the final boss, I will say like I don't want to spoil it too much because I, I strongly believe that this is a game that's best, you know, to just go in and experience. But the final boss in this game was so surprising to me partially because it does have like a twist in it but also like it was just so cool and it was a culmination of everything that you've learned like the final boss not only like was it really good story-wise but it also he had mechanics from basically every boss or like type of enemy in the game and I really felt like I had to use everything I'd learned up until that point it's like a big final test which I think yeah. is a good way to do that, like, you know, because it, it proves that you've gained all these skills and you can use them. You've learned to execute them. And now you're a master of the game's mechanics. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's a couple other cool bosses. There's there's a notable one I really like um, that you and it's cool. This game, you get to fight some bosses twice, but it never feels like a like a lazy like, oh, they just reuse the boss like in some other FromSoft games. <laughs> um, but it, it really feels like it's just a progression of, of the fight. And so it's cool. Like, so there's one that's my favorite and I won't spoil who he is, but he like uses a lot of the Shinobi tools that you have. And I always think that's cool when like they come up with a similar kind of like set of skills that you have. Yeah. Um, so he's, he's really cool. And then the final boss, yeah, just uses like everything. Like he pulls out like different weapons that other bosses have used. And so he's got like kind of, their sort of moves and then he's got moves from other types of, of areas in the game and so it's just like a really felt like a really beautiful culmination like they put a lot of thought into it um so i was super impressed like the final boss was was really kind of the most epic part of the game and i i think not a lot of games pull that off and i wasn't even really expecting it to be but um it was yeah it was it was very very neat experience um yeah and then i guess just quickly too, I'll, I'll kind of go over just the world I think is beautiful. The 
like visually the game is is gorgeous but it has some really interesting environments some some varied places that you go to uh and what what was really neat too is there's certain areas that change as you progress mm-hmm. so you know maybe kind of like mild spoiler here but the the story kind of like centers around like a rebellion and a and a war coming to to Ashina where you where it's set and so the war actually kind of like progresses as you play and there's there's a couple points in the game where you know you'll come back to an earlier area that that wasn't under siege and now it is so now there's like kind of two factions fighting and then you go in and you can sort of like fight them at the same time or like kind of just like watch and see what they do and so it feels really dynamic and it really feels like a very genuine world that's like happening with or without you Mm -hmm. you're just a participant within a larger kind of narrative that's going on regardless of of the your action right which i think a lot of games is like they kind of stand around and wait for you to to make all the things happen as the player character yeah exactly and i I think that's something that fromsoft always does really well and in really is noticeable here in Sekiro. Like there's a lot of times where you have like a side quest kind of idea with with a character. And oftentimes in another game, like they'll like, please do this for me. And then if you either do it or you don't, but if you don't, they just stand there waiting for you for literally the rest of their life. (laughs) And it's like, you know, like, you know, it's how many years has it been lady? Like maybe you could have delivered that letter yourself. (laughs) Maybe your onions could just, you could just go pick your onions, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like, okay. The rats you wanted me to go kill. Maybe they've, they've already died of old age at this point. (laughs) Like, (laughs) like, you know, we've missed our window here, but in secure, like, or or like a FromSoft game and specifically secure, it's like, well, you can go do that for them or you cannot do it, but not doing it is like usually just like a different outcome because they will continue on without you and you know something will happen to them if they don't get what you were supposed to help them with and then oftentimes there's like a couple different ways to to choose how you progress which is kind of neat and i think this game had had really good side characters um it's a little bit more focused which is interesting like it still has the in really good environmental storytelling and it still has the items descriptions that you read and you kind of piece together a lot of the lore for yourself but it was a little bit more upfront with information and um, there's a few more characters that are really like relevant to the main plot and i think part of that just ties into the fact that like you're not an outsider coming into this game. You're not a character that's like from a different land or or just, you know, like here and discovering the world for the first time. You're specifically Sekiro, like you're integral to the plot. Like you have relationships already with these characters because like you're not just a player-made character. You are someone in the in the story and in the game, mm-hmm. which like is kind of a, a neat alternative approach. Well, and, and also I- you got to think like, like this is probably this is the first time too. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the player characters all also has like dialogue and stuff too. Because the other yes. FromSoft games, you're always a silent protagonist. Yes, exactly. And he has, the voice acting is absolutely wonderful as well. By the way, I um played it in Japanese just because. Hell yeah. I you know I tend to prefer just doing whatever like the native languages for for games and and I really like the voice acting, but the English is fine too. And um, like there were just some like moments where I was like, ooh, like I got chills. Like it, it's it's really well written and it's really well done. And your relationship, because um, you're kind of like the shinobi and you're tied to this this younger boy. 
And the relationship that the two characters have is is really quite sweet because, you know, as, as a shinobi, you're like kind of a bit more like stoic and serious. And he's he's quite a pragmatic little kid. Um, but you, you have a couple moments throughout that are that are quite sweet. Like there's one time where um, I won't spoil the context, but you you give him some rice and he makes it into like a little like rice ball treat. And he gave me he gives you the treat. And he's like, oh, I want to share this with you. And so if you actually eat it in front of him, then like there's a couple dialogue lines and he asks you like, well, what did you think of it? And you're like, oh, it was very good, my Lord. And like, it's just, there was like some <laughs> cute little moments that uh, I didn't necessarily expect to, to get in this kind of a game. Um, and so I just, I can't recommend it more. Like I, I love this game. I'm going to go back and play it because there's a few different endings um, and some of them have, have like a couple bosses you can only experience if you do the certain endings. So there's a little bit of content left for me to play. Uh, And they've also added in post launch um, in some updates, like a boss rush mode where you can go back and and fight different bosses and you can do it on different like difficulty settings and whatnot. So I want to go back and and do all of that. Wait, there's difficulty settings? Um, well, there's technically a difficulty setting within the game, but it is to make it harder, not easier. Gotcha, <laughs> so, okay. um, so yeah, I, I obviously just played it regular at the time, but I kind of want to play around with that and just see sort of what changes out of curiosity. Uh, and then I also want to like do the quote unquote bad ending and, and fight the couple extra bosses. So, uh, my days of secure are not done, but I, um, do feel like I've I've completed it and it, it's it's got a special place in my heart and I'm looking forward to see what kind of game can come along that that will topple it because right now mm. it's king. <laughs> it's gonna be hard to to topple, you know. Like if you like like me with Persona Five, like I, I don't I couldn't it's it's hard for me to envision a game that would top it. So I, I'm getting the same feeling for you that's like very much like this. Exactly, and it's the kind of thing where, like I said before, like I think the game is amazing and the attention to detail they put in and like. Some of the environmental storytelling, like if it's not your thing, I think it's at least something that, that you know, should be talked about in the community and should be looked at because it's just so attention to detail is so big. Like even <clears> it comes <throat> down to like the enemy placement and certain enemies being in certain areas, like they're there for a reason. They tell a story and like you can't pick up on all the little things. There's tons of little details I missed and I'm in the phase now where it's got a really wonderful community around it and i'm watching all the videos of smarter people who've played it and and notice little little details that tell you little bits of lore or you know this character's here because of of this and if you notice this detail or like that you read this item then it actually like you learn something new and there's just so many little like breadcrumbs to to follow and so many little things to learn that like you just can't possibly notice but like it's almost like you could study this game and i bet you people will yeah, and I, I think, like, there isn't a single part of it that I ever feel that they've just thrown in because they're like, well, this is cool, or like, oh, we need another fight, or like, mm, we need some enemies in this area, let's just, you know, chuck these guys in. And not to say that other developers are careless, but there's just that extra level of attention to detail and thought put into yeah, yeah. How, this, how these kind of worlds and games are designed. And, you know, like, I, I have hours of videos ahead of me on top of the hours I've spent already like reading up on, on these small little details. And, and that's not going to be for everyone, right? No one, not everyone wants to go into it quite so granularly, but I just think like, you know, you can really tell that this was 
they had a vision. It was a it was a passionate project, and they just put their heart and soul into this kind of game. Haha. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and I I want that to be you know celebrated, and I want more games to really like you know not focus on you know just being popular, just making money, and I, I think like there's that work of art aspect that that really is is prominent to me in these kind of games and gets me and it's what makes me feel really passionate about gaming um but with that being said there is that caveat that it's not going to be for everyone if it's not for you like that's totally fine i understand it's kind of like a a niche sort of experience but it's just exactly the weird all the t- all the check boxes that i like it's just it was perfect i feel like they made it for me so I'd like to personally thank FromSoft for being my biggest fan. <laughs> I'm your biggest fan. <laughs> my heart feels warm right now. I'm so happy that you enjoyed the game so much. Yes. And I All think right. you're, you're 100% right, though, like in terms of the way that they craft these worlds. And I think that there's there needs to be more studios that go to the, the level of depth that they clearly do. Like we were just talking off mic as well about the example of that character with the bleeding eyes, like kind of near the start of the game and how you know, things happen with that later. And just that that's a level of detail where it's like, hey, they're they're showing you this. You might not catch it. If you do, it's just like another level of how they obviously put their care and their someone thought of these little details that come back later in the game, which is which is like this level of consistency mm-hmm. and um just world building that I think is a very special thing. And it, it really shows off what games can be and kind of how they can be written to to really be immersive and create a like a real tangible world and as i mean mm-hmm. as someone who's like you know decently familiar with from soft through you and a couple other friends that are really into it and you know watching some videos mm-hmm. and completing bloodborne and playing a bit of this here and there like i i really can see the just what you're talking about in terms of like the care that they put in and, and the art form mm-hmm. that these games almost are and so i think that's really respectable and like like you said too like just caring about the art and the world first and, as opposed to like the marketing or or the you know, trying to create a franchise that's popular and everyone will like it so they can sell a bunch of copies. Like that's really not what this is. And hey, it turned out pretty well because they won game of the year. So yeah, I mean- exactly. And and there's a lot of studios that are doing it too. Like I, you know, I'll, I'll buy every FromSoft game that they ever make because I just, I love their studio, but it goes as well for someone like I'd say Supergiant with like Hades mm-hmm. and, and Pyre and like all those like weird games they make and it's very much a similar kind of thing and and you know there's a lot of like indie studios are really good too like undertale came out and it blew up the internet and it was just like Mm -hmm. well like this guy really had like such a beautiful vision for a game and he made it and so i just like those are kind of games where like i love gaming and i play a lot of games and i I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with a game that's just like i sat down and had a good time like you know it 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 relaxed me it took some stress off of my life it was you know sometimes that's what you want and sometimes that's what you want but i think like there are these studios that kind of go a little bit like above and beyond and it's it's just it's it's really like hones in the kind of like this is, is such an artistic medium and it's such a cool way that we can experience art not just as like a passive person like watching a movie or reading a book which obviously I love doing too but there's that extra level of like intimacy. Like I played the game, I was involved in it, like I beat it and I think like it's such a cool thing that gaming exclusively has that no other art form can kind of like be on the same level with yeah yeah um <laughs> i have one one question for you uh, yeah. to you know satisfy my curiosity are you going yeah. to get the platinum in the game are you planning to do like is that is that literally everything you got to do or is it kind of just full of stuff that you don't don't uh, consider um, like necessary 
I, I think it'll depend. Like, I, I actually did think about it. Um, and it's going to depend. I, I actually haven't really, like, taken a, a big look at the trophy list. Um, so I'm going to look at it. I, if it's just, like, get all the endings, then then maybe. Um, what would put me off is if it's, like, buy all the upgrades and, like, finish all the skill mm. trees. And, like, you know, it's like maybe I could, eventually I could do it just by having played the game. But I will say that is actually one area of the game I didn't really um, engage with very much is the actual, like, Shinobi tools. I think they're super cool. And every time I got one, I was very excited and, like, wanted to try it out and see what it did. But, like, I just liked the, the base combat so much that I didn't invest in any of that stuff because, like, I just liked playing how the base combat felt That's so, so, like, i had all these tools I was like i don't i don't want to use that i just want to fight with my sword oh man those tools were some of the coolest part of the game to me like just seeing yeah. what you could attach to your hand and how it would look yeah. and like, the animation when he pulls them out like those those yeah. are some of the coolest little things i agree and so i'd like you know like get excited and use it twice when i got it but like i just i don't know i was just so like in the zone doing the combat that i'd forget to use them most of the time and, and there were a couple of times i did use them because some of them they're very helpful with certain enemies um so I, I think that's like a super cool part of the game but just not something that i really did so like i didn't spend a lot of money um upgrading them and so if the if the platinum is like upgrade everything and like buy every single thing in the game it's like nah, i yeah. don't know like I, i'm gonna play it a couple more times for the endings so if i like make enough progress just by playing because it's like well i've got extra points to spend or like i've got all this money now and like what am i gonna buy with it um and if i get close then then maybe i yeah. will but it, it's going to depend on the the trophy list i think like that's fair. if it seems like if it's a fun list or if it's a list you can complete kind of just while playing the game then i'm happy to put in however many hours it takes but i'm not a huge trophy hunter so if it seems like something that's tedious then you know i might be out but oh yeah yeah we'll see we'll Just see I've made, some, I've made some claims in the past about like you know i'm still technically plat platinuming bloodborne and hades right now <laughs> even though <laughs> it's been a while so i don't want to make any big claims and um, yeah especially not on the show when you're like etched in history you know like you you gotta right. back these claims up that's right this cannot be erased so <laughs> we'll see we'll see cool. maybe that'll be my fun fact at the start of one episode but uh cool okay not, well, not we'll <laughs> we will look forward to that kate but uh, in the meantime why don't we take a quick break uh mm -hmm. and then we'll come back and talk about the ratchet and clank state of play so uh don't go anywhere anyone we'll be right back Hey everyone, welcome back to the show for the second part of our episode today, which of course, as usual, is the news section. So uh, we got three stories today to talk about, the first of which is just a quick little update on something we covered on the show before, which is that uh, there's been a, a post on the PlayStation blog, I think from Jim Ryan, right, where saying that the PS3 Vita stores are continuing operation. I um, just wanted to throw this in there really quick because... Um, one or two episodes ago, we had the news come out that they were closing down the, the digital storefronts on the PlayStation 3 and the Vita and also the PSP, which I was kind of surprised was still open. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, they've, they've reversed that decision, I think, largely because people just really were complaining about it, like the storefronts getting shut down. And I mean, I guess rightfully so in a lot of ways, especially since like Xbox is the biggest competitor is doing so much in terms of like 
keeping old games alive and available. So it's it's good to see mm-hmm. this this news be turned around. And personally, I'm I'm happy that my wallet can have a bit of a break and I don't have to go and drop you know a couple hundred bucks on all the games I want to get before they're gone. So. Uh, it's a good, good news. It's a good thing you didn't. I bet there's a few people that that did, and they're kicking themselves now. Like, oh man, like, yeah, yeah <laughs> so true. <laughs> so true. But uh, just wanted to shout that out. I don't know if you have anything to add, Kate, or if we can move no, along. No, I just, I just think that's nice. Like, I was actually listening um, to another podcast recently who had mentioned it, and or not mentioned that it was back up, but just had been talking about uh, it going down, and you know, they, they were actually like kind of a bit disappointed because they were still still using it. And I was like, oh, okay, like, you know, this this affects certain people. And, and so like for them, and for people who are passionate about it, that's awesome. And I love my Vita. I'm glad it's not going anywhere for the mm-hmm. time being. But um, anyway, Kate, let's move along to some, some bigger news. Um, we have the PlayStation Plus monthly games for May 2021. Mm-hmm. So of course, as usual, for those joining us for the first time, uh, Kate and I usually both pick uh, one game from the PlayStation Plus offerings every month and we review it, talk about it on the show for the next episode. Um, so for May 2021, our choices are as follows. We have uh, Battlefield 5, Stranded Deep, and a PlayStation 5 exclusive uh, offering for us is Wreckfest with the tagline, Drive Hard and Die Last. Uh, <laughs> um, we've had, like we always talk about, we've had some really good um, offerings the last few months um, on the show, even last month, I think we were a little bit lukewarm and we ended up both liking our games a little bit more than than uh, maybe we thought. Right. And so hopefully mm-hmm. this happens again. I don't think either of us are particularly jazzed and really jumping out of our seat to play any of these. But um, am I wrong here or how are you feeling? Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think like these are some obviously some like Battlefield's a really big name and and um, I don't think it's necessarily the a question of quality of these games. I just, I don't think these are really what uh, we would normally pick to play. Um, but sometimes that's nice, just inviting a little bit of variety into our lives. Um, do you have one that particular speaks to you that you would like to take? Uh, well, I mean, I went through, kind of looked these around. I, I don't think either of us are going to be picking Battlefield uh, 5. So I think <laughs> we can maybe, maybe cross that off. Stranded Deep, the other two kind of have a bit of interest to me. Stranded Deep is... Uh, actually, I'd never heard of that game before, uh, before I kind of watched the trailer and did a little bit of looking around just for this. But mm-hmm. I mean, that look, it looks kind of interesting. I think personally, I might go for Wreckfest just because <laughs> it is the, the PS5 game. So, you know, it's going to be hopefully made with some some uh, dual sense integration or anything, like, you know, any kind of features <laughs> like that. So I would I would maybe pick Wreckfest, but I'm not, I'm not too sold on it. Not? OK, uh, I Wreckfest is definitely the one that I've got my eye on. Um, just just for the same reason. Well, I mean, first of all, the tagline really inspires me. Drive hard, die last. Like that's a yeah. philosophy I want to live my life by. Well, exactly. And if you read the description here on the PS blog, the 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 way it's described is the Wreckfest. Burn rubber, break rules, and shred metal in this full contact racer. Like fuck yeah, burn rubber. <laughs> oh hell shred yeah! Well, metal? you know, I'm a pretty hardcore kind of person, and um, <laughs> as I say, standing literally in my pajamas recording this. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, you know, but I, I yeah, the the integration of the PS5 might be kind of neat. Um, Strata Deep seems kind of neat, but it's it's one of those like survival games which like really are not my kind of style. So I'm gonna say I will fight you for Wreckfest if You'll... you want to accept the challenge, or if you'll just nicely concede it and uh, <laughs> strand yourself somewhere. Oh, deep. Man. <laughs> okay, well, um, I mean, you know what? I'm I'm happy to play Stranded Deep to be honest with you. Okay. Um, they both yeah. were kind of appealing. This game looks like it might have some kind of like funny stories that might come out of 
mm-hmm. you know, figuring out how to survive and maybe I'll get eaten by a shark or some some weird stuff. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm happy and it also is like, you know, you're, you're braving the treacherous elements and the dangers of the the Pacific. Okay. And we live near the Pacific Ocean, so maybe I'll <laughs> find right. some kind of <laughs> <laughs> some kind of interesting facts about that or something so if you really want Wreckfest, i'm surprised you're interested in that to be honest but maybe by mm-hmm. looking at the other two games maybe i can see why yeah. that would be your choice i yeah and and to be fair i, I don't think you know I'm, I'm mostly just having a bit of a laugh i don't really yeah. think Wreckfest <laughs> is going to be my game but i just think that i i will um kind of maybe come at it with the right perspective um as being kind of neutral and, and just seeing like you know the ps5 integration is interesting i feel like I would, i'd rather do that than be like yeah i didn't like stranded deeper battlefield but like it's not my kind of game so i, mm-hmm. I don't want to mm-hmm. like shit on it but like, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. they're just it's not my style so wreckfest is, is you know and i don't ever play racing games there's kind of that little like okay car game what is this all about maybe maybe it's my new passion we'll see yeah, no, I think that's cool too. And that's like one of my favorite parts of doing this PS Plus thing every month is just like, hey, but I, I play some stuff that I would never usually check out. And it just kind of expands your horizon and like exposes you to different games. Like I never would have played Need for Speed back that few months ago, you know? And and like, not that I had an amazing time with it, but it's just like something to change what I would usually play and get a different kind of perspective. And yeah, exactly. I like and, that. and yeah, it's, it's good. And even just to, you know, have a little bit more context when you're looking at other games, it's helpful. And then every now and again, we do find something that's like, oh, you know, like I might play, like when I played Greedfall, for example, I wasn't expecting much. Um, and then I ended up really enjoying it and thinking like, oh, this might be a game that like I eventually would play and I would never have known otherwise. So I, I like my curiosity sometimes likes to be satiated with trying new things. So, um, you know, Wreckfest, we'll, we'll see. I'm, uh, I'm going to drive hard, die last. And, <laughs> and shred some metal. <laughs> and shred some yeah, Here we go. Oh, man. Okay. Well, well, that's great. We'll let you guys know what we think of those games um, on our next episode, which of course, again, is our one year anniversary. Very exciting. We'll, you'll play Wreckfest for the one year anniversary of Circles oh, and Squares. It's, it's perfect. I, I don't know how better to celebrate. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we can celebrate Ratchet and Clank coming up here, Kate, with our last news story, which of course is that we had a state of play uh, happened on April 29th, showed off some more gameplay of Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart as if I needed to be sold on this game anymore. I I, uh, I don't know what they could have shown that would have made me any more excited. I'm already like 10 out of 10 like hype for this but uh so we, we started off we had it was a 15 minute presentation and it was kind of like a weirdly paced one in my opinion like they started off and they showed uh subnautica there was three games shown actually at the state of play so the first one was um subnautica and this is a sequel i think right to to uh the yeah. original yeah and, Subnautica below zero and it's a sequel to i think the original was just called subnautica yeah so this is this is another survival game i think the the original one actually just took place underwater and so this one kind of is interesting in the fact that you can get out and and walk around on land also but um yeah you're kind of doing some base building doing some some uh you know survival gathering equipment stuff like that and it looks like it has a bit of a horror aspect to it as well which i I didn't know there was like a jump scare that i was not prepared for and uh in the trailer and it actually like you know it got me so i i don't know if it's like if it is intended to be like a little bit like uh, like unsettling or sinister if it was just that jump scare gave me like a weird impression but i i did also get the um kind of feel like a bit of unease watching this trailer yeah i mean i guess horror kind of or not horror sorry like survival kind of has some inherent kind of like scary mechanics like you might die if you drown or you know can't find what you're looking for in the environment but yeah this this looks kind of interesting i don't think i'll check it out but but uh it looks like for those that enjoyed subnautica or 
for those that have interest in this type of game or maybe like stranded deep like we were just just talking about like this might be for those people for sure right maybe maybe stranded deep is is gonna be your entry point and then uh, <laughs> buy subnautica instead of ratchet and clank oh man don't make that mistake folks don't make that mistake and that's not an indictment of subnautica but then any, anyway after the subnautica showing there we had what is probably one of the shortest introductions for a game i've ever seen uh this of course is among us coming to playstation 4 uh playstation 5 as well i guess they didn't have to show a lot people really are conscious and know what among us is at this point but uh, and they're also doing a ratchet and clank uh what is it a ratchet and clank skin for among us as well so that's mm -hmm. uh pretty cool cool, cool little tie-in um hopefully people will be introduced to ratchet and uh, through among us and then and then uh, get to experience uh what is rift apart so let's talk about rift apart kate could that mm -hmm. trailer have been any cooler? I, I don't I don't know what they could have shown that would have made it any better. Like those graphics. I don't even want to call it a trailer because that to me was like that was game footage. Like I that wasn't that to me was not like a pre-rendered trailer. True. Like okay. that was wrong word. And, wrong word. So like I wanna stress that. Not like it looked amazing. It looked like um I don't know if you've ever seen the like Riot does like cinematics for their for League of Legends. I don't know if you've ever watched no, one. Not, not. But like it's in the same kind of vein as like Blizzard does them for like Overwatch and like little Pixar like cinematic kind of things. It's in the same kind of like quality of that. And it reminded me of the League ones because they've got um some characters who like kind of look a little bit like Ratchet. And so like I was watching I was like this looks so much like one of those and they're like high quality like almost like Pixar esque kind of kind of visuals and i was like it looks like this but it's the actual like in-game footage like the game is is gorgeous and not only is it gorgeous like the background assets stood out to me so much because like oftentimes you're playing a game and you're like this looks really great but like if you actually stop and focus on like what the background looks like it's like okay it's a little bit less resolution like you know like everyone points out and, and you see like like there was that like tree in Pokemon when it came up, for example. Oh my and god, yeah. Screenshot of like, oh, this is like the ugliest looking like asset. They've got this tree. They just kind of like, you know, they like, don't put all the resources into like all the background stuff because it's not what you're focusing on. But like I made a point after I, I saw how cool one of the environments looked to like look at the backgrounds of the game, not just like stuff in the forefront. And like the background is, is just as beautiful. Like it is absolutely like I don't know how they're running it. Like the PS5 must be a strong console because this game looks phenomenal. Absolutely, yeah. And, and I mean, Insomniac has just been killing it recently too. And and I think like that's another strong aspect of like Miles Morales and the Spider-Man games is just like New York feels so alive and, and even standing on top of buildings, you can see so far into the distance and, and yeah, it has that same kind of draw distance as, as in Ratchet. And, and I mean, you're speaking about the background. Well, like even what's going on in the foreground too, like when, when he's going through and breaking boxes or, or shooting the weapons, fighting the enemies, like the little particles that kind of break off and, and the little effects on the weapons or like going through the, the portals and the rifts, like all these little lightning effects kind of like, man, it, it all just looks so impressive. And, and the amount of action that can be going on on the screen at one time without any kind of lag or, or stuttering or loading or anything like that. It's just, I, it, it seems like a technical marvel. Yes. And specifically, I want to like focus on those riffs as well. Like he's, um, he's pulling, there's like riffs you can come across and you, you pull yourself through them and they'll either like teleport you like just a short distance in the same area, or they'll take you to like a whole new area, like totally different from where you were with totally different things going on. And in both of those transitions, it was like 
so smooth. Like there was no, there's not a load. There's not like a slowdown. It, it isn't hidden behind like animation that, that makes it like, you know, like that looks nice for you, but like gives it a couple seconds to, yeah. to load in new stuff. Like it was instant and smooth. And I was like blown away by just how like, good those transitions were to the point where like they weren't even transitions you were just there and in a different environment and and like in the middle of the game still yeah and you know one other thing too is whoever i forget who was presenting i think it was one of the directors of the game i forgive me for for not remembering but he was mentioning kind of during the narration that when you go through these rifts it's not loading you into some you know tiny arena to to fight a bunch of enemies like they specifically said when you go through the rift and you get teleported to a different environment that you're you're seriously just getting loaded into like that that whole environment like whatever whole area you're going into instead of just some small room like it, it really is loading uh, a whole new aspect of the game or a whole new place so i think that's just such a cool effect and and um you know they they also mentioned a lot of the weaponry like you the way it kind of feels on the dual sense feels uh, i guess they've introduced a lot of new weapons to the game kind of alongside some returning selections from older games and just the way they're all going to integrate with the dual sense and all have kind of a unique feel to them. Uh, and they, they look impressive too. So I'm, I'm sure like hearing what people are saying about returnal and how the, the weapons feel on with the haptics and the dual sense on there, I'm sure it'll be, you know, up to the same standard with this as well. And those explosions, like the way they look, I'm sure like feeling them is going to be a, a very interesting experience. And especially with the triggers too, like they were saying how a half press on the trigger is kind of your primary fire. And then an alternate fire would be a, a full press after you kind of click that halfway point in with the, with the trigger. So it's almost like a new control scheme as well in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I, I think that, that almost like, Hey, like the visuals and like how good it looks is like the immediate takeaway, but thinking about it afterwards, like that to me is the coolest thing they shot off. It's so clever. Like, like just, yeah, to go into a little more detail, like you had like a gun they showed off and it was like, if you partially, or you half press the trigger for the dual sense, um, you get like, just like a, a regular fire, like, you know, a couple weapons. And if you full press it, it like unloads the whole clip or like uses all of your ammo to fire a bigger shot. And like using that hardware to integrate like an extra button or like to let you like do degrees of it and it actually changes how the gun works like that's so clever and i think like like you know it sounds kind of kind of cool but like it's hard to sort of imagine if you haven't actually had a chance to play with the controller but i can really see like it's gonna be very clear i think to feel which one you're doing and i think the controller is good enough that you can be intentional to choose which type of fire you're going to want. And I think yeah. like that's probably going to be like such a cool, like extra tactile experience. I, and I totally agree. Yeah. But because I mean, for those that have played with the dual sense, it, it really has a lot of like, it's not like you're kind of pushing it halfway and you're guessing like, Oh, I guess this is the, the, you know, primary shot or I, Oh, maybe I pushed that too far. Whoops. Like it can really click into place in a way where it feels like, like you said, a, like an extra button. Like it's very obvious uh, with the technology in there. So I'm I'm excited to see obviously some of the later weapons that weren't shown off in the trailer and how they're going to integrate that and kind of what kind of variety they can introduce with that. Because that's, that's a really unique feature just specifically to the PS5 like that at this point at least probably couldn't be created with a different system. 
no like you yeah exactly like you couldn't play it with any other hardware like and that is I guess it's like it's um like a, a luxury they have designing it as an exclusive game and so like you know maybe we won't see that in things that you know are also on pc or other consoles because it's just it's not part of the the hardware available but like yeah. i think it's so neat to see that they're really like utilizing the resources that they do have and and having the chance to be so creative with it um so yeah the, the game looks great i'm assuming you're you are 100 decided your day one purchase oh I, I was day one purchase before i even saw a gameplay of this <laughs> for sure like ratchet's one of my favorite playstation franchises ever so just seeing what they've been able to do with it and bring it into the next gen like i'm full systems ahead like day one purchase no no question on this um i have to shout out as well um i don't know if how if you remember but when i was playing those uh the playstation 3 ratchet games uh, a little mm -hmm. while back on the show i i mentioned one of my favorite weapons is was the zircon family that uh mm -hmm. you know shows up and fights for you but in this game it's been revealed that ms zircon is actually the new weapons vendor and you gotta get to hang out with her and buy upgrades so mm -hmm. i i love that little throwback to uh, a previous mm -hmm. weapon now like being a character um seems pretty cool and um you know the last thing i guess to talk about unless you had anything else too was was uh you know they showed off kind of gameplay as both ratchet and rivet we we know her name now as a as a second playable character and i really like what they've done in terms of it seems like they they share currency and inventory uh, as well mm -hmm. so it's it's not like if you have a bunch of really you know interesting and fun weapons with ratchet and then you i'm assuming get to a you know a different section of the story and all of a sudden you're playing as rivet you, you don't i guess lose the weapons and the kind of the the play mm -hmm. style you've built up with Ratchet and have to restart with something really basic. Like you, you seem to share your resources, which I think is a good decision. I think that's smart. I think you kind of have two options either. Like you make them feel quite different and they have different sort of play styles so that like it, it's more, you know, distinct to play one or the other, or if they're going to be similar, I, I do very much like the idea of sharing stuff because then you never get to that point where like, Oh fuck, I got to play as, as like Ratchet. She's not as fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's, that's cool. I, I'm, I'm, that's pretty much all I gotta say. I say, watch the state of play. It's, it's super impressive. Like I came into it and Ratchet and Clank's a franchise I have a very high opinion of, um, but just never really got into, but I will say like, after watching this last one, I'm like, maybe like, should I buy it? Like, oh shit, this game looks so good. <laughs> it does. So, yeah. Um, you know, there, there's, there's a, there's a potential in my future. Cause I know you're going to buy it. And so I like, I like the idea of, you know, once you're done with it, maybe I'll borrow it and, um, you know, play through it, but but there there's a there's a potential chance now based on this trailer and what I'm playing at the time when it comes out. There there might be an impulse ratchet purchase in my future. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. That would be fun. Um, anyway, we'll I'm sure we'll be talking about this game a lot more on the show. Whether whether you buy it or not, I know I'll be playing it. So and I'll, I'll have a lot to say on future episodes. So look forward to that. But um, I think for now that's going to close our. Uh, news portion out for today's episode so uh, again stick around because after the break we have a fun discussion on uh, video game sidekicks and of course listener mail questions so please uh, don't go anywhere All right, everyone, welcome back to the third and final part of today's show, uh, where we are going to discuss video game sidekicks. Uh, I think that sidekicks have been something that's kind of been around in games for a number of years, even like 
skating back to Mario. You know, you play as Luigi as the second player, or like, you know, any kind of multiplayer game, you got to have two characters. So, I mean, they've been around for a while, but really, like, what makes a good sidekick, you know? Like, uh, do they have to be a foil to the main character or, like, add some kind of comedic value? Or is it just as simple as being, like, the second player, being the Tails to the Sonic? What do you, what do you think makes a good sidekick, Kate? Um, so I was thinking about I kind of nailed down, like, three sort of general ideas of what I think a good sidekick is. And I think, first off, they help to foil the main character. I think that's a really good phrasing for it. Uh, I think, you know, especially if it's a sidekick, like someone who kind of follows you throughout the entire game and the entire journey, I think they add a lot to developing who the main character is. Um, they build the world that that you're in. Um and they, they kind of just, they give a lot of context. Like my favorite sidekicks is like someone I can't picture the main character without because mm -hmm. they're just so integral. Their relationship is so integral to how you understand uh, the main character. And and I think the best kind of sidekick to someone, like the game doesn't work without them. Um, so I think that's that's number one key. I think um, the second point, but kind of in, in a similar sort of vein, I think their dialogue uh, and, and their relationship is going to play off in a meaningful way and i think it can deliver is a good tool to deliver kind of like exposition to the player that's what i was going to say is like I, I mean i was talking in days gone a little while a little while ago about is it an example of this is like deacon needs to talk to himself to almost tell the character what he's doing or like why like oh i gotta search for my bike you know but mm -hmm. a good sidekick in a game which has characters moving around together is kind of like an excuse for the main character to say something out loud and not seem like a weirdo yeah, exactly. Like they can, you know, talk to each other and, and kind of give the player the information that maybe you need to hear. Um, but it comes off in a, in a realistic way with with them talking. And it's it's like, I think just like a clever way to kind of like give that information. But also it's not just like pandering, like you need to know this. Otherwise, mm -hmm. you'll never get through. But like, OK, they would have that conversation. It, it, you know, it feels like a part of the game instead of just like, an aside to to help you yeah they can really be like the the main like the player's eyes into the world almost too because oftentimes i think the main character is someone who's knowledgeable or is, has lived in this world for so long whereas you know the sometimes the sidekick is kind of less experienced in whatever you're doing whether it's an adventure or you know a, a fight or whatever and so they can they can kind of act as the player's you know they can ask the questions the players may have of the world and then the main character can explain to them like, oh, this is, we do it this way because of X reason or, or mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it can it can take away some of that awkward pause menu type of reading tutorials, I think. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's a good tool. And I think the last thing I came up with is, and um, I, I like when they have some kind of relevant gameplay mechanic as well. Like whether that's being a second player, if there's a multiplayer aspect, or if that's like they have a certain skill that the your player character doesn't have, and so it's not possible to solve the puzzles or like get through the level without them. And so I think like I like that kind of when they're not just integrated into the story, but also they're integrated into like how you actually interact and play the game. Yeah, I think I think so too, and I think certain sidekicks are almost functionally like items in certain ways like if you want to talk like we were just talking about ratchet and clank you know for as good as ratchet and clank's relationship is it's not like he's a big part of the story a lot of times but clank is really an item that allows ratchet to have mobility that he wouldn't have otherwise and even sidekicks like i was thinking in terms of pokemon like is pikachu a sidekick you know like he's he's a 
tool basically to get through fights. Like a, he's basically a move set, you know. But at the same time, they're kind of sidekicks. <laughs> in a weird yeah, way. I agree. Like I got very much into the idea of like what really, what is a sidekick? And sort of like, there's a couple ones where I thought of like, hmm, they're a sidekick. He's like, I don't think they're a sidekick. I think they're like, you know, someone you journey with, but like. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> the, the line can be blurry sometimes. Like one of the ones I wrote down, like as, as examples of some of my favorites, and I don't think I, th this is more of an honorable mention, but I, I think someone like Mimir in God of War is a really good example because I don't, I don't know if he's a sidekick. Like Atreus is kind of Kratos' sidekick, but Mimir is another character that's kind of part of your, Party and he's more interesting in terms of what he has to say in the lore building and his his humor. You know what's amazing is Mimir is literally the first person I thought of, and yeah. it's because he's such a <laughs> wonderful like companion. But I I put him more as like well he's a companion like yeah he's, he's do he's on the journey with you and I would say even Atreus to me doesn't feel like a sidekick like I think he is in some ways like he's got the gameplay relevance. Um, he's got mechanics. He's like, you know, he, he's along the journey with you. He's like a good foil, but I almost like, and, and maybe this is just me like kind of being a little bit of like a idealistic romantic, but I, I kind of see him more as like, he's a companion, like you're on the journey together. Like, and yeah, there's a power dynamic that obviously it's like, you know, Kratos is in charge, but I, you know, I, I think they kind of grow together. And I, I like the idea that maybe like, you know, he's not a, maybe he is a psychic. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a loose definition, but I don't know. Sure, um anyway yeah, you, let's definitely. maybe talk about some of our favorite sidekicks uh in mm -hmm. games and what what we have to say about those so do you have one that really stands out like where do, where do you want to start um okay well i i'm gonna do a shout out and this is not my pick but i want to defend navi from um really really enough time because people talk smack about navi all the time and Navi's one of like the quintessential og sidekicks so, so what like, makes navi a sidekick Rather um, than uh, like a, I don't know, is Navi with you all the time in, in Zelda? Navi is with you all the time in Ocarina of Time. You get her right at the beginning. She's like a fairy that gets assigned to you to help you on your journey. And so it isn't so much really like, I think what puts her as a sidekick to me is it's not really her journey. She's there to assist you. Um it's not a journey you necessarily like undertake together kind of like Kratos and Atreus where they're like we are gonna go and spread mother's ashes together like this is something we're kind of doing mutually whereas Navi's like I'm helping you on your journey so right maybe okay. that's in my mind where I draw the distinction and people make fun of her because she's annoying like hey listen like <laughs> it's, a, it's a meme at this point hey it's a meme but you know what like when I played the game I went into it because I, I didn't play the game as a kid. I played the game as an adult and um, I went into it knowing the reputation. And I was like, this is severely like disproportionate to how I how I feel like. Sure, she calls out like a few times, especially if you're stuck and, and not making progress. But I didn't think she was anywhere near as annoying as as people claimed. And, you know, I, I kind of got a little bit of attachment to her um, specifically. Actually, even in the in the sequel game, you kind of like she doesn't end up in the game but you sort of um how the game kicks off and how you get lost at the start of the, the sequel is you're actually looking for navi because you've lost her after the after ocarina and so like that kind of hammers in that like link has an attachment to her so then i felt a bit of a strong attachment and she's also the z targeting in that game that's how you use the lock on mechanic which like ocarina is kind of one of the first games that made that sort of like quintessential like 
you know, now we see in, in most action RPGs, like you lock on to an enemy when you fight them. Um, I had no idea that was Navi. I'm going to be that's honest. Navi, that's how that mechanic works. It's really, really cool. Um, so it isn't just like lock on. It's specifically Navi goes and she's like highlighting the enemy for you. Or like you can lock on to talk to an NPC or something. So like, I think that's so cool that they explain what's just like a common gameplay feature now but they've explained it like through the character of navi so like i want to say that that navi is absolutely she doesn't deserve the hate she gets i think she's a creative wonderful tool that was used in that game um and and navi's a great sidekick that's a that's a good argument i like that you know yeah. and i especially with the targeting i didn't know that that was yeah. to do with her so that's cool um mm -hmm. I, i'd like to give a shout out more to a studio than to a certain character but i think it's it's hard to talk about modern games, especially on a PlayStation podcast, um, when you're talking about sidekicks and side characters without bringing up Naughty Dog. Um, they're, you know, whether you talk about Uncharted or The Last of Us with Ellie, I think the argument could be made Ellie is maybe a bit more than a sidekick in the in the Uncharted, but I mean, or sorry, in The Last of Us. <laughs> but, it, but especially in The Last of Us 1, I, I would say she's kind of a sidekick to Joel. And, um, and then Naughty Dog, of course, Nate has like Sully, Chloe, Nadine and just kind of especially with Sully kind of the back and forth banter that they have like you'd mentioned even in in Fortune Hunter and and how he's kind of a mentor and but it's, it's Drake's adventure Sully's there more as an assist it's just kind of a retired mm -hmm. retired Fortune Hunter and they really provide a lot of context to the world and, and they they foil Nate really well because they mm -hmm. add a, offer a bit of humanity to him as a character in terms of his his personal life and maybe some of his ambitions that and, and his backstory that if they weren't there to have those conversations with Nate I feel like he would just come across as a very one-dimensional action hero kind of guy but the his side characters uh like you know Sully I would say Sully and maybe maybe Chloe a little bit more than the other ones but they they really add those contextual conversations to him as a, as a person yeah, I think I think you're right. And I think they also do a good job, like we said, of kind of like making more dialogue for the player. Because if you think about Uncharted without those extra characters, it's just kind of like Nate going through the jungle. <laughs> like like I, you you kind of would lose out on the sense of like a lot of the writing and, and the like personality of Nate because it's like, you know, like you're just climbing up ruins, finding treasure and then like, OK, you're done. But like with Sully, like, yeah, like there's banter back and forth with Chloe, then like you know, he gets into more like complicated relationships and it, it helps to kind of like make Nate feel like, like a, like a character as opposed to like just a generic, like silent protagonist action hero, which like, you know, like it's such a shame because Nate's such a, like an iconic character, but he's iconic because you get to hear him interact and quip with these other characters. Yeah. You know, the more like I've, I've played most of the Uncharted games now, I think I've actually played all of them except for Golden Abyss on the Vita, which is like, you and, know, maybe, maybe one day. And Fortune Hunter, that's true. Fortune Hunter. <laughs> but I mean, when I think of Uncharted, there's not really, aside from those big set piece action, kind of, you know, like the train on Uncharted 2 or yeah. there's a few other big examples, like the car in Uncharted 4, the Jeep chase is really cool. But overall, like the, the parts of Uncharted that stick with you aren't really the action or the, the combat and stuff like that. It's more, it is the characters and, and the people and the, the music, mm -hmm. like we were saying, even, which is more iconic to me. And so that I think speaks to the quality of, the cast and that, that includes Nate's side characters as well and then just quickly like Ellie as well as a sidekick and in, mm -hmm. in, uh, in uh, The Last of Us she really is the player's context into what happened during the outbreak because there is that time jump kind of at the start and she's asking questions like 
about what the world was like before. And, and then that gives Joel the excuse to get into some context of how the world has changed after the zombie outbreak that otherwise he would never have a reason to talk about. Or Ellie being fascinated that people used to collect comic books. And, you know, Joel would never tell you about that without without her around. So she's amazing in terms of world building through her questions. Mm-hmm. She is. And I, I think, like, the whole game centers around their relationship, too. Like, they're so quintessential to to the experience and, and how they kind of, like, open up and, and build their relationship. Like... That's, I think, like, the gameplay in, in um, Last of Us is great. Like, there's a lot of things going for that game. But I think, like, the main takeaway that a lot of people have is just the how those two grow together and their relationship. And I think that's kind of, like, what sticks with you from that game. And, and it's, at least for me, like, that's that's what got me interested and in, in is, um, like, my if I had to pick one aspect of the game, that would be it to keep. So I think, yeah. And again, I got into this man. He's like, well, is she a sidekick? Cause you do get to yeah. play as her. She's a little more. And she's, she's, I don't know. Like, but anyway, maybe that's just, maybe those arguments are that she's an amazing sidekick instead of just like a sidekick that could be removed from the well, game. I think, I think it's like the, it's not that you shouldn't be able to play as a sidekick because like yeah. Luigi and Luigi is definitely Mario's sidekick and he's playable. Okay. You're you know? right. So, okay. so it's not like a hard rule that they can't be a playable character. They just can't be the main character. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I think I, I think I like it. I think Ellie is kind of like the probably best sidekick ever made. And I don't know if I can top that, <laughs> uh, but I, I will, I have one more I've written down as kind of like my final answer to this question. And I think part of it is, um, so I've been playing and I'm sure I'll talk about it on a episode, um, maybe when I finish it, but I'm playing Apollo justice right now. Oh yeah. 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 Um, from the uh, Ace Attorney series, which is the first game that um, doesn't have you play as Phoenix Wright, who's like obviously the quintessential character of this series. And as Apollo, I like Apollo and you get a sidekick because you always have like in these games, it's always your main character. And then you have like a sidekick that comes around and does all the trials with you and kind of like helps you out and you play off of them to to solve the, the, the cases together. And you get a character called uh, Trucy in this one. And oh, Trucy. Is your go-to and I like Apollo and Trucy and I've been enjoying the game I think it's great but the whole time I've been playing I just keep thinking and comparing them to Phoenix and Maya Faye uh pause right there my next one was going to be Maya Faye I have to say <laughs> she is she's got to be one of the greatest sidekicks of all she's time gotta be. And there's so no way that she's not and that's why she's definitively my pick. Well, Trucy's good, but she's she's not the same as Maya. And Maya and Phoenix just had such a wonderful relationship. Like she gave them all those like stupid nicknames and they made so many like inside jokes, which is like kind of a thing that like you don't necessarily expect to see in a video game. But like those two characters legitimately had like inside jokes that they made throughout the course of the three games you you played with them and even to the point where like in apollo justice there's been a couple like small references to their inside jokes and it's been really cute like a stepladder for example mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. I think you're investigating you see when they have this they have this dumb joke where maya had asked or, or phoenix one of them had asked the other person like what makes like a ladder like a like a step ladder instead of just a regular ladder and like it was just this dumb joke that they always made and it like carried on and um 
I, I just, I believed in their relationship so much. And then she's also very integral to the gameplay. She's got kind of um, some sort of spiritual powers that that Phoenix needs to use to to solve some puzzles. Um, so I just think she's she's just like the game excels. And I think a large part of, of what that game is, is therefore like being a visual novel is, is the writing. And I think the two of them just absolutely are like have perfect chemistry and they're the perfect duo. They, they really are. And I think I think like the game doesn't even have voice acting or, you know, mo animated cutscenes or anything. And the way that they're able to convey those characters relationship just by a few simple animations and, and the way that the dialogue is written is, is something really special because like you said you really do feel the chemistry between those characters as you get to yeah. know them and, and, and it's, it's, go ahead so i was gonna say and what's neat too is you get three games from them so like when you start out in the first game like they're kind of just getting to know each other so like you also get that benefit of going through the series together where you actually like get to see them get closer and care about each other more so like their relationship at the beginning of the first game versus their relationship at the end of the third game is quite different, but like it really feels natural and, and it's really nice to see that grow throughout the games as well, which is something I think the trilogy like got to work with a little bit better than say maybe just one standalone game. Yeah, and and I like the way Maya's personality really contrasts with Phoenix as well, because for a successful and I, I mean, sometimes he kind of stumbles his way through the cases, but Phoenix is an accomplished lawyer and he's won a lot of cases, but I, mm -hmm. he really wouldn't be there without Maya because, you know, at least once or twice every game where she's behind the bench with him, you know, arguing against these cases, she's pushing him and, and he, Phoenix has kind of a attitude of, oh my God, I'm, I'm never going to be able to prove this, you know, and, and it's always Maya mm -hmm. that he looks across to and she's, she's like, no, you can't think that way. You know, we don't give up on this. And she always has that extra little push of charisma yeah. or, or uh, she is the push he needs to be able to reset himself and get through these cases. And otherwise he would have lost a bunch of them without her assistance. And yeah. like you said too, she, she even has the ability to channel her older sister who, who was Phoenix's mentor and, and kind of get him through that way as well. So even when it's not her physically using her thoughts and, and knowledge to push him through, it's, it's then she's able to do this extra mm -hmm. uh, channeling thing to, to push Phoenix through that way. And so they're, they really are like a, a perfect duo for what they're trying to accomplish i think they're yeah. they're expertly written that's a good point like they're kind of opposites like phoenix is a bit more grounded and logical and like he's he's kind of a bit more like realistic whereas maya is like a bit of a like kind of she she's like a little bit more of a dreamer and and kind of like gets a little bit silly or is maybe a little bit like naive in the sense where she's like very optimistic instead of realistic sometimes and like she she brings him up when he's like feeling like stuck and then he kind of grounds her when it's like well no we need to like look at this a little bit more pragmatically and so they kind of like yeah they do really balance each other out quite nicely and it's funny like she it starts off where he's like she makes like we'll make a dumb joke or, or look at something in a kind of more of like a child's childish way because she's a bit younger than him and he kind of at the start is like okay like oh god like what am i put up with like i've got to babysit this dumb girl and then by the end of it it's like anytime she she kind of goes on like kind of a funny little tangent and he's just like oh she's so sweet <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah that yeah. like affection comes into it so yeah well it's like what you're talking about the development of their relationship especially over the the trilogy so and and beyond the trilogy too uh, which is which is cool to see i, I think <laughs> like as we've been talking about this maya actually has become 
a very <laughs> strong answer for for best sidekick. Um, I only had one other one written down, uh, which is maybe more personal to me. But I wrote down Clementine from season one of The Walking Dead, Telltale The Walking Dead, uh, as as Lee's sidekick. And the more we've kind of had this discussion, I'm not so sure that she's the true form of a sidekick. She's more of like in Lee's care, at least mm-hmm. to start the game, just because I mean she's a small child during the the first game and and she does grow and and there's a lot of character development there and she she's living in this harsh harsh world and she's very helpless at start and and as you go she kind of becomes more helpful for lee in, in terms of being someone to bounce ideas off of or she suggests oh hey maybe we should try this this could this could get us out of that situation and as the the player character it's up to you if you want to put her in those dangerous positions or not you know there's there's times when you could choose to do things other than what she said but at the end of the day she really does show a lot of growth and and she's such a brave character you know living through a, a zombie apocalypse and taking that context and then having this little girl who's basically abandoned and has no one to look to look out for her and she just has this trust in lee and maybe that's maybe that's a bad decision to trust a stranger but at the same time i think it shows off her bravery and uh you can really see her develop that relationship with Lee as well, maybe similar to to a Phoenix and Maya, but just in a different context. Mm-hmm. Not that not that Clementine's kind of maybe as optimistic or spiritual or, or quirky as Maya, but in a different context, they have a similar they, kind of relationship. They, they fit the setting of their game a little bit more. Like Phoenix is quite a like a, a lighthearted kind of game. It's it's meant to be a bit goofy and a bit funny, but uh, despite you know being a lot of murders, but yeah, Walking yeah. Dead is quite a bit more of yeah. a like you know a serious and uh you know like harsher harsher game to play for sure absolutely yeah and i mean maya or not maya sorry uh clementine obviously goes on to become the main character of the series overall so i i I don't think she's a sidekick which is why she wasn't my answer for best sidekick in terms Mm -hmm. of like the whole series but but uh, definitely in the walking dead one she could maybe be classified as that and so i had to shout her out just because i love that game so much but that's, I, that's a game i gotta get around to playing sometime it, it oh, looks 100 really but uh <laughs> yeah cheers to you mystic maya for being the best sidekick we could think of i guess <laughs> I, I love that we had the same same thought on this yeah, we get a lot of like similar we started with mimir and kind of worked our way through it so that's, and that's that either, times we bring either, different stuff to the table but uh it's nice to see that like maya truly really is the best who can well, talk her inarguably you let us know if you guys have uh another sidekick you think could challenge mystic maya of course that could be sent to circles and squares pod at gmail.com if you wanted to write in a listener mail question just like matthias did uh for this episode of the show which is uh a very simple one kate but it caused us to have a little bit of problems thinking of answers to i think or at least i don't know if you felt like me but the the question is what game are you ashamed of either to say you've played or enjoyed um the experience and this is from matthias so thank you very much for your question um kate what did you what did you come up with for this i had a a challenging time i had a challenging time as well and i think i maybe like took the question in a little bit of a different way and so i actually struggled to come up with a game that like i don't feel like i felt ashamed of playing any games because at the end of the day, like we talked about earlier in the show, like there's some that are beautiful masterpieces, works of art that um, are worth study and, and long discussion. And then there's some games where they're just like, yeah, and relaxing and going to play like, you know, it's my free time. I, I, I don't think it necessarily has to be more than just I I enjoyed something. So, you know, there's a couple games that I, I've, I've played that are like, you know, maybe not the highest quality or a little bit silly. And I've, I've put more hours into them, but I don't really think ashamed is... is you know, a word I'd like to describe. So instead, I've come up with, I've remembered a kind of 
time in a game where I felt ashamed playing based on what I'd done. Uh, and I'll tell you a fun little story right now. So um, recently I played some Demon Souls and after beating the game, I joined a Discord uh, for Demon Souls. And there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of like online stuff you can do in that game. So it's people kind of like asking and uh, people to help them with certain bosses or to um, get their world tendency in a certain way or like looking for PVP. So it's a pretty nice community. And um, I went on after beating it too and, and kind of joined the server of people who wanted help with, with bosses that they were stuck on because it was, it was fun for me to kind of get to fight some of these bosses again. And also like, you know, I just kind of wanted to give back to the community a little bit who, um, wherever I could and, and it helped extend the longevity of the game. So I ended up helping a few people. I helped this one guy who was stuck on a boss and it was so funny because we had to try so many times. Like we couldn't get it. Like what happens is when you get someone into another person's game, if they die, you get kicked back out. So you can't beat the boss for them. You just help them. And like, we must have run it back so many times, like at least like 10 times. And he just kept dying. And it was so funny. We ended up kind of like, we were joking around on, on Discord. Um, just like we weren't in a voice chat. We were just typing. But every time we died, like, oh my God, like, let's try it again. And it got to the end where he was like, I'm so sorry. Like, I made you do this boss with me so many times. Like, I keep dying. And I was like, oh, it's fine. Like, don't worry. And um. So whatever, it, it had kind of been a funny experience. And we, we were like, hey, we'll try one more time. Like we, it was kind of like the, like, let's do it. This one is last it, we go. gotta do it. Yeah, this is it, one last go. Like we've been at it for like two, like a, like a, over an hour at this point now. <laughs> we're like, this is the last go. And we were so close, like we had it. This was the one we were gonna do. And it was the one time I died. <laughs> <laughs> and then after and I died, so he died. And I felt so ashamed. I was like, I'm so sorry, man. Like I can't, I can't do it. <laughs> and uh, it was... It ended oh, up, we shit. never beat it. We never beat it. It ended up being like, hey, man, like, you know, I'm so sorry. I've got to go to bed. Like, oh, like man. Again, I'm here or something. Like, message me again if you ever want help with it later. And I never heard from him again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he had such a bad experience. He had such a bad time. I don't know if we, I don't know if he's ever, like, to this day, he might still be fighting that boss. But we'll never know. Enough. We'll never know. We'll never know. Damn. <laughs> Well, I, t I took the question in a little bit of a different route. I tried to answer it as literally as possible, just trying to think of what I could say I was ashamed of. And the meme answer here is I, I'm ashamed to say I completed Pokemon Sun and Moon because <laughs> that game definitely is not the best Pokemon game. And I completed it just because I'm a sucker and will still play anything with that franchise. Um, of course, a little bit of a joke. It's not actually that terrible. I just, uh, my least favorite Pokemon game, you know, as much as we've had to say about Sword and Shield, I think Sun and Moon is... The one I would say is the worst, but well, uh, you know I don't need to go uh, back to. Yeah, I don't want to bag on it though. That's like a meme answer, like I said. My my real answer, I would say it's Mass Effect Andromeda, and I, oh. I feel like I'm a bit of a champion for this game. Not that I really really love it, but I just don't think it's quite as bad as people as people make it out to be. And so that's why I added it as my game. I'm ashamed of just because I think it's hard to defend it without kind of getting looked down upon by a lot of <laughs> a lot of people. So. Uh, but I, I really don't think it's that bad, you know, like people, people make fun of it. And I think it had an impossible task of living up to the original Mass Effect trilogy, which is one of the most revered trilogies in all of games uh, yeah. for a good reason, because they're, they're amazing. So I think this game was maybe a bit doomed to fail from the start, but it re really isn't as bad as people say, like the combat is pretty much just the same as 
you know, very similar at least to the original games, and uh, it adds the ability to fly and around a little bit, which which adds a lot of different uh, feeling to the combat. I mean, the the guns still feel good. Uh, it, the story is interesting too. Like it takes place between the second and third Mass Effect games, and adds a bit more context to the universe. And the story is kind of you being on this arc and going to examine and and find inhabitable planets on a on a new galaxy, and and some story stuff kind of goes sideways. So you end up being uh, you know, the leader kind of of this expedition. And so you have a bit more agency in that way. And the concept was cool. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it was just let down a little bit by partially expectation and partially some more repetitive kind of sequences. And there's a lot of puzzles where you got to scan things and kind of run around and, and yeah. it's not the most I, fun. I have very distinct memories of watching you fight that sandworm monster over and over again. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. I think my game glitched or like, cause it wasn't, you have to wait for a certain opening against that boss before you can attack it. And I remember just, I must've been like 15 minutes or maybe 10, 15 minutes. I was just waiting for it to do that certain attack and it wouldn't do it. And it was just so frustrating. Yeah. But, uh, and I, I think that's also the thing too, that kind of killed that game. The game was dead in the water for a lot of reasons, but the like marketing leading up to it with those horrible facial animations and like it was maybe like a little bit buggy when it came out. And I think it was just one of those things that it shot itself in the foot too many times before it came out. And then the final product maybe wasn't as good as it should have been on top of that. And it was just like a comedy of errors getting that game to, to yeah. actually like appreciate it in any sense. So I'm sure it wasn't as bad as, as its reputation precedes it, but I'm sure also it was, you know, would have been nice to have something a little bit higher quality package considering how big of a franchise Mass Effect is. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, I was hoping for more out of it too, and I'm not defending saying it's awesome, but definitely uh, I, I, I think I'm one of the more positive people on it compared to a lot of people's opinions. And so it would probably be ashamed on my behalf, but but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I personally would, would I, I don't know, I couldn't really think of another answer aside from aside of that to be honest so that'll be the best i can i can do for being ashamed but um yeah i mean that's good maybe that says something about our us having reasonably good taste in what we choose to play like yeah. we, we don't get either ashamed we have by too much good taste or we have reasonably low expectations of ourselves <laughs> <laughs> maybe a combination of both i don't know we're in the middle <laughs> but uh anyways kate this has been a fun episode uh good mm-hmm. chat good good talk I like the the Mystic Maya pick. That was great. And mm-hmm. um, and I really want to hear if anyone has uh, anyone they think can top her because I think at this point um, we are very convinced that that's just S tier and there's there's no stopping her. So um, <laughs> please, yeah. yeah, write in. Let us know if, if you've got a, a, a different pick who would be your all-time sidekick. Yeah, let us know. That'd be uh, really great. So yeah, anyway, um, that's going to do us for the show today. Like we said, we've got a big episode coming up next next time on uh, May 17th, which is our one year anniversary episode. So look out for that. Uh, but until next time, everyone, thank you for listening and we'll see you then. The intro and outro music for Circles and Squares was produced by friend of the show, Matthew Chan. Interlude music is from Scott Gratton of the Free Music Archive. Our channel art was created by at Unreasonable on Twitter, and our brother Alex is the designer of the Circles and Squares logo. Thank you all for listening and supporting the show.